This is The Next Level, a brand new show on the Packet Pushers community channel where real network professionals charge into difficult IT management situations, lead from the front, and get it right. Join us as we ask the hard questions that most people are too afraid to ask and figure out how to drive positive change in your organization. We'll take you from the CLI to CIO. I'm Damien Hoising from Packet Brigade. You can find me on Twitter at Packet Brigade. Hi, and I'm Drew Connery-Murray from Packet Pushers, and you may have heard me on the Network Break podcast. Uh, You can find me on Twitter at Drew underscore CM. And on today's episode, we're going to talk about six ways that IT pros can engage in revenue generation. So IT has a reputation as a cost center, and we're going to talk about how to flip that perception on its head. Joining us today is Jay Mellon, CEO of AtNet Plus. Jay, would you please introduce yourself and tell the audience a bit about your background? Sure. Uh, Glad to be here today. So. uh, I started at NetPlus about 17 years ago. We are uh, an IT services provider based out of Stowe, Ohio, which is near Akron. Uh, we have three main areas of the business, um, managed services, software development, and cloud services. If you're listening to this podcast, chances are you're a highly motivated go-getter that cares about your work. Proactively engaging in revenue generation is a surefire way to increase the value and influence of your work in organization with your customers and your industry. Today we're going to talk about six ways IT professionals could get involved in revenue generation. The first way is to think of new ways of getting value out of your data. Chances are you're collecting a wealth of information you already have and by applying new analysis techniques or combining it with other data you can unlock new value. Jay, you once shared with me a great success story about a time when your company held the customer leverage data to unlock greater revenue potential Would you mind sharing that with our audience? Yeah, I'd be happy to. So, um, you know, this this is probably one of the um, easiest ways that organizations kind of can leverage their IT infrastructure investment and uh, find ways to monetize it. um, In this particular example, uh, you know, because this was a proprietary solution we developed for a client, I'll 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 try to protect their their. intellectual property um, by being vague in some areas, but I, I think you'll still get the point. So uh, this particular client is in the uh, commercial insurance industry, and uh, the challenge they had was um, they knew that some of their insurance clients uh, from time to time, unknowingly in, in most cases, uh, would exceed um, some of the parameters outlined in the insurance policy. And, and obviously to an insurance company, uh, that poses a problem because it can increase risk for the insurance company, which can have an impact on profitability. And so uh, we worked closely with this co- uh, customer to identify some solutions to that. And and w- what we really ended up with, I thought, was, uh, w- was a pretty brilliant idea in the sense that uh, we were able to identify some publicly available data that was collected by the government. Um, and we were able to subscribe to that data. And through combining that publicly available data, along with some information that was proprietary to this insurance company that was part of the uh, insurance application process, uh, we were able to gain insight that was able to demonstrate for our client very specific cases when uh, their insurance customers were exceeding whatever the specified limits were associated with their policy. And, and what they were able to do then is, is actually share that information when necessary with the client uh, to validate, hey, I, I know you said that you know, it was going to be this, but in reality, it's this. And in most cases, a customer was appreciative, not realizing they had exceeded those limits and, and uh, 
was very receptive to that. And and what that did for our customer was two things. First of all, it then helped them control their risk because now they essentially were not insuring customers that were exceeding those thresholds. They were able to actually write the policies um, to properly address those thresholds. But more importantly, it allowed them to increase revenue because now they were able to go back and actually write policies at a higher dollar amount that properly covered those customers. So for that customer, it, it was a, a double win. It was reducing risk and increasing revenue. And uh, I think that's just a great example of, of where you can use that information to, to drive the business. So this was leveraging a data source that the company already had internally with an external data source and creating not quite a new business model out of it, but another opportunity to either generate revenue or better manage risk. Right, because they had insight that they didn't have before, and, you know, and especially in the insurance business. And I think financial services, uh, insurance industries are two uh, areas that have tremendous potential to capture um, opportunities like this because you can use insight in order to make better decisions. And by taking public data and private data and bringing it together in a way that you hadn't before, almost always gives you insight, as long as it's done, you know, you have to do it smartly, of course. Mm-hmm. So do you know if this initiative came internally from the IT side or wh- who, who came up with this idea? Uh, I wasn't personally involved with the, the process. One of our team members was working closely with the customer on this. But from what I understand is, you know, the, the customer was, um, you know, sharing this uh, challenge um, with uh, uh, one of our developers on the team. And I think through that conversation back and forth said, you know, this is what the challenge we have. And they started talking about, well, how can we solve that? Through that conversation, I think um, uh, an awareness of this external data source uh, came up, and, and I believe I believe the programmer uh, probably said, "Well, you know, if we took this and that and pulled it together, we could show you this." And of course, you know, I, I think that was the light bulb moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. Um, I, I think it's it's a really smart idea to look at the assets that you already have in place and and see if there's new ways that you can leverage them. And just one more point, and I think it's not just about the data. I think one other example that, that many people are probably familiar with is what Amazon did. You know, Amazon had this incredible infrastructure that they built out to sell products online and realized, hey, the same infrastructure might be useful for other people. And, and that was really the beginning of their um, Amazon Web Services or AWS. Right, that's so a cool example. It doesn't just have to be data. Even though data is the most likely uh, example that you see, it doesn't always have to be data. And I always encourage people to, to try to think creatively. So moving on to idea number two, and this is about uh, IT getting out of its silo uh, and talking to other areas in the business. Um, Seek out colleagues in other departments. So you've got sales, marketing, so on. Uh, Talk to them, learn about their jobs, learn about how they're using IT, and find out if there are things that IT can do for them to accelerate their job functions. McKinsey International actually wrote a report, and in that report they indicated that IT-enabled business innovation will account for at least half of their company's earnings growth over the next five years. Um, and particularly, as uh, Drew mentioned, the growth is, the biggest difference is being made in a couple of areas, marketing and sales, product and service development, customer care or after sales care, corporate management, back office functions, R&D, manufacturing and service delivery. I'm curious, Jay, if you see that this could be a value in your company, do you think that if your engineers engaged your, your sales folks 
um, there's opportunities that might arise for them to help accelerate their job function that could in turn, you know, increase the, the transactions or interactions with customers. Absolutely. Um, and, I, and I think the comment of getting outside your silo is absolutely critical because it's not only just getting outside of your silo from um, the perspective of, of how do we uh, share information in order to recognize these opportunities, but you know, in order for people to do that, I think there has to be a certain amount of trust that, you know, whatever is done isn't going to impact, you know, that other department in a negative way. Um, you know, we all have a primary business that we're trying to take care of, and we don't want this other venture to um, negatively impact our part of that um, uh, core business. So, for example, you know, you want to make sure that you're having the conversation with legal to make sure that you're using, you know, whatever assets, whether it's information or infrastructure in a way that, that meets legal requirements. You want to make sure that from a marketing and sales perspective that, you know, this is going to fit into their overall plan because at the end of the day, whatever you offer, you're going to have to market and sell. Um, you know, you want to make sure that, uh, you know, there's a demand for that service and marketing is, is, is one of the organizations that's probably going to um, tell you that. And then finally, I think um, around service delivery, um, ultimately, you know, you have to make sure that that you've got something in your organization that can actually support, uh, from a, a service delivery perspective, what it what it is that you're putting out there. Um, so I think it's critical that you have those conversations. And I think once people um, in these other silos appreciate that you're thinking about what it means to them, um, I think they're going to be a lot more excited about exploring these opportunities because I think they're going to feel safe. They're going to say, well, if I go down this road, I don't, I don't have to be worried about all these bad things that could happen. Let's let's try to look at the upside. I really like what you said there, Jay. As in the previous example you gave, just having a seat at the table, if IT is present, they can be present to have those aha light bulb moments. And we definitely want to make sure that folks are approaching their colleagues in other departments in the right way so that it doesn't appear as intrusive or interfering, but rather as an opportunity to serve them and grow their appreciation for the work that other people are doing. In my experience with technical people, there's, you know, sort of an, uh, a dismissive attitude toward other business functions like marketing and sales as though sort of, you know, it's, it's not um, IT, it's not technical, so therefore it's, you know, sort of beneath me. But And I think that can be a, a kind of poisonous attitude. Um, so I think it makes sense to one, it never hurts to know how your business operates um, and, and what you guys are actually up to, what the company is up to. And two, um, talking about IT having a seat at the table, that's about relationships. So if you're actually going out and introducing yourself, making connections with people, then the reverse of that perception of IT being sort of the department that says no or a bunch of scary nerds who are going to yell at me because I, you know, downloaded a virus or something, it, it humanizes IT as well and says, you know, we're, we're here to serve you. We're here to help the business. So I, I really think if you're looking to be an IT leader, that getting outside of IT, talking to the rest of the business is really a smart move. Um, as another data point, um, Damien, you had pointed out a study from Forbes saying that 78% uh, of salespeople who are using social media outsell their peers. And obviously, social media can be a tricky issue at an IT organization because often the tools may not be on-premises. There's potential data leakage issues. Um, but this is also an area where IT can become a partner with the business and, and find ways to help you know, do something like accelerate sales. For sure. Uh, another example that comes to mind is engaging in the merger and acquisition process and a lot of different business models, they they make their revenue uh, when they make and acquire other companies. And um, that could be could maybe under the back office corporate management silo or some other silos, but getting involved with legal, that's certainly a very arduous, complex process where IT and technology automation can serve dividends. Um, yeah, I'd like to move on to number three. 
So a third way IT professionals can engage in revenue generation. Observe your company's customers, how the customers interact with IT on a daily basis. Think about the ways your company could engage them more frequently and meaningfully using technology that's the most convenient for your customer. Build a proof of concept and pitch the idea to your manager or CIO. For example, if you just think about mobile apps and service delivery portals, they deepen the company customer relationship and increase the frequency of interactions. Every interaction, of course, is a sales opportunity that could lead to revenue growth. Companies with more available and functional customer service apps are definitely likely to win customers from their competitor. At least in my case, I can personally say I've actually switched insurance providers for this reason. You mean because you found a better app or something? Yeah, I was doing business with a company that was very difficult to reach when it was convenient for me and was difficult to communicate with when it was convenient for me. And I switched to a carrier which had apps and web portals that allowed me to do business when it was convenient for me. Mm-hmm. And and I think that's kind of what most people expect nowadays. So that's just another example of the company looking for ways that they can leverage IT that their customers already use and are comfortable with. And Jay, do you want to weigh in on this idea? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think, you know, we have to remember that information technology is just simply a way to take business processes that have existed for dozens of years before computer systems and, and other IT and, and just simply automate and streamline them. And so, you know, we always tell people, remember, it's, it's at the end of the day, a business process and all technology is doing is improving it. And so if you think about it in terms like that and, and about it just being a process, then what are the inefficiencies in that process and how can we use technology to eliminate them? And, and I think, you know, as, as Damien was saying, the companies who are innovative are going to think about ways to do that in a way that, that their clients are going to respond to. You know, put yourself in the shoes of your clients. What do they care about? What struggles do they see? And how can you use the technology to make their lives easier? Yeah, and I think even if you are in IT, you know, we're all users of technology. We know what irritates us about uh, applications and interfaces. So you can take your own experience as a consumer and, and bring it back to your organization to find better ways to interact with your customers. Absolutely. Excellent point. So uh, moving on to number four, uh, if you're introducing a new technology into the organization, think about ways to design it to be more scalable and modular. Um, consider that many IT organizations have actually spun off successful projects and deployments as other companies or as other revenue generating services. And we touched on this earlier with the, the Amazon Web Services um, example, but uh, and Damien, you've got a couple others. I was reading about a couple of interesting examples. Trek, that many folks who uh, ride bike uh, may be familiar with that company. Uh, they actually spun off a NASA internal point of sale software into a profitable software company called Ascend. So they were able to take something that they were using in-house and manage it in such an efficient and productive manner that it could become a profitable business in and of itself. Another case, Ball State University, they were providing managed wireless to nearby schools. They spun off a Office of Wireless Research and Mapping uh, that achieves about a million dollar annual projected 10% annual growth year after year. One of the organizers of that success indicated that they're discovering the answers and realized how they could generate revenue by providing them to others. For, you know, So they're already solving some difficult technical challenges, and they found out that it was an opportunity that it could be scaled. And lo and behold, he got a million-dollar business out of it. Uh, <laughs> That's pretty <yeah>. good. <laughs> Another one, uh, Sears. Actually, I was really surprised. Sears Holdings. Um, I always thought of Sears as just the brick-and-mortar uh, product store. But Sears Holdings had a big data project that spun off a company called Metascale. 
And Metascale really had a big impact on their industry through harvesting unstructured data and the whole leading to the whole big data movement. So these are projects that were built internally, but were actually able to be spun out into separate businesses. And I don't even think it, it only is the realm of big companies. You know, one of the things that we're seeing, you know, our, our target market is small to mid-sized companies. And, and we're seeing this mentality now really uh, filtering down into the small to mid-sized businesses where, you know, you identify um, a workflow issue within your organization, you develop a solution for that. And lo and behold, realize that everybody else in your industry suffers from that same challenge and you can make that available. There's uh, another company that um, operates in our market providing managed IT services, and they realized that they needed a tool to go out and assess environments in an automated scanning tool. They developed that tool for their own use. Other people started saying, hey, that's a really great tool. Will you sell it to me? Now they've developed this other business that, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if it exceeds the original revenues of the service provider that launched them. <laughs> so. so it can happen. Absolutely. Yeah, so getting filtering back down to the you know IT professional working on these projects, you should always think about how to design it from the beginning that it can be scalable and modular and, and self-consistent so that business opportunities like this present themselves It's something that can be spun off. Yeah, I think it's a great point because you're going to have to you know have that architectural capability uh, sort of built in to be able to, to scale it out or spin it off. That's going to be probably affect your, your design concerns. I'm interested to talk about the fifth way that IT pros can engage in revenue generation. And this is really just kind of throwing out a challenge to all my colleagues and peers out there that are IT professionals is think about kicking it up a notch and providing more value to the extent that it's worth more to their customers to pay higher rates. Uh, if you're an engineer that can configure a multi-home BGP in your sleep and you can stand up a data center in two hours where it takes another engineer 16 hours, chances are your time is more valuable and more valuable to your customers if you're more cost effective. So compare your team's level of expertise and bill rate to others in the industry. Are you more efficient and qualified than the competition? If not, kick it up a notch. Get certified, get involved in more projects, demonstrate that you can deliver projects on time and on budget. Jay, do you want to comment there? Yeah, I mean, I think what you're really talking about here is, is you know, the value add. And, you know, everybody's always looking to get more for their dollar, more for their um, um, service experience or product experience. So I think what Damien is getting at, if, 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 if I'm interpreting him correctly, is you know, how can you continue to build value? And, and, and we always have to be careful that it's value to the customer, not necessarily value to us. Um, so, you know, like around the certifications, absolutely get certified, show that knowledge, show the advantage to the customer though. Um, you, you, want, you want it to be about, uh, you know, not so much features, but benefits. How does it impact the customer? Why do they care? Um, but I, I think as long as you can do that, then I think that's incredibly valuable. And, and again, as Damien said, if that allows you to charge a premium for your service because it gives them that experience that nobody else does, then by all means. Yeah, if I was an IT director for an organization, I'd much rather go with an outfit that I know is going to be able to deliver on time and on budget and provide good results in a predictable manner more than going with a lower cost company that may end up having cost overruns, errors, problems, where the actual total cost of the implementation is much higher. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Good. Moving on to number six on how IT can become a revenue generator. Uh, it, this is a little bit counterintuitive, but spend money to make money. And this is important. Be accountable for it. A lot of times, an IT professionals will be working with very expensive equipment and, and big CapEx projects, for example, or, or other things that you do in your daily job. And so to be mindful of the cost effectiveness of everything you do. If you're going to pitch a new designer or do a new implementation, perform a basic return on investment calculation. If you see an opportunity for revenue growth... Bring it up to your manager. 
When your manager finally does give you the go-ahead, track the revenue and productivity growth and compare it to your calculation and share the results with your manager. For example, if you needed to upgrade a network switch or firewall in your colo facility and you want to be able to host more tenants and more clients and scale what you can deliver, you can do an estimate for that. You can compare that your estimate to your actual results. And, and building that scalability, building that return on your investment is building and generating revenue. Uh, another way is that if you find yourself doing something really repetitive that could be done and outsourced at a lower cost, you can complete more work for your organization and for your customers. So I want to ask um, both of you guys, since you both work in IT, about this accountability notion. How often do you get pushback from the business, from a CIO, from an executive to say, what is the ROI here? What are we going for? How am I getting return on the money that I'm spending? Yeah, I, I can certainly step up on, on that. I mean, I think it's you know, the amount of pushback you get is is probably directly related to how it's presented. I mean, when you look at these opportunities, you know, especially if, if, you, if you're trying to position this as, as a, a a revenue generator uh, around IT or, or, or some sort of uh, cost recovery, you really need to present it like a business because really, in a sense, that's what it is. So as much as possible, try to prepare that presentation like a business plan, you know, and, and try to anticipate those kind of questions that they're going to ask. So you, you mentioned ROI. You know, what we would do is, is we would address ROI head on because we know it's important. We know it's going to come up. You know, talk about what the marketability is of it. Talk about what's the competition, who's out there doing it already. You know, what are those threats going to be? You know, talk about what is the life cycle of this? Is this something that's going to live forever? Does it have, you know, a defined exit? Talk about all those things like you would do if you were starting a new business. It just happens to be folded in with within another business unit already. Uh-huh. Yeah, that makes sense. I'm just trying to drive home that even if you're a junior network engineer and you're just, you know, learning Cisco iOS and you're just, you know, getting your hands on or feet wet in the networking industry, that to start thinking like this out of the gate is going to help you later on. Because whether you're doing a small switch replacement in a, one particular network or, you know, a big data center design, these things are going to be very important to the manager and your customer. Well, because at the end of the day, the driver for this is business. You know, we're not doing IT for IT's sake, even though, you know, the, the, the inner geeks in us would love to do just IT because it's fun. At the end of the day, it's all being done because of a business need. So it's critical that you understand what those business drivers are. And if you don't understand those business drivers and you can't speak effectively about them, you're going to have a really hard time pushing your initiatives forward. I mean, do you need to be an MBA or an accountant to do this well, or is this something you can kind of pick up <laughs> on your own? Though I mean, we're we're talking more about business than we are IT here at this at the, for this number six. Right, right. I mean, I don't think you do. I mean, um, you know, I I think there is something to be said for the school of hard knocks. It it certainly doesn't <laughs> diminish the uh, the the investment and the value that that the people who have achieved the MBA have. But um, you know. It, what we're talking about are relatively simple concepts. Certainly, as you dive really, really deep, yeah, having that that additional experience, I think, is incredible value. But you know, understanding, you know, costs, pricing, um, competition, marketing, all of that, y- you don't need a, a deep education. I mean, I think most of us are intelligent enough that we can kind of wrap some thoughts around that, and then engage the people that do have that deep business experience when needed in order to to put together the full package. And being in IT, presumably you are good with numbers. <laughs> <laughs> Let's hope so. If not, hopefully you have access to some tools that can help. <laughs> I can see subnetting calculations going on in the back of my head right now. <laughs> well, that's a really good point. Yeah, it sounds like an, RO, an ROI shouldn't be too much harder than that. Yeah, and obviously it's going to be based on some assumptions, which may or not be valid based on the business. But if you don't try, uh, then you'll never get there. So. 
So, you know, here's six great ideas IT professionals can can go out and engage in, in revenue generation. Um, but I wonder, you know, the same actual McKinsey report that reported on those particular silos uh, in the revenue generation also mentioned that there's a lot of challenges to realizing the benefits of digital business, such as organizational capabilities and business process. So I wondered, um, is there a chicken in the egg scenario? Does there does something need to come first when first pursuing revenue through IT? Does, does business process come first or technology implementation come first? And can we think of some exceptions or examples of both? Jay, do you want to dive in there? Yeah, yeah. I think I think Damien, you, you you make a really really good point there about it. Is it a chicken and egg scenario? Because, you know, it's one thing for for somebody in the business just to sit down and say, you know, and let's use Amazon as an example. Let's say that you know before they had developed out a pretty robust, um, solid infrastructure in order to support their e-commerce activities. You know, let's say somebody in the executive suite said, you know what, someday we're going to sell our computer uh, resources off to other people. People yeah, probably, probably would have looked at that individual like he or she was crazy right? because, you know, what are you talking about? This doesn't even exist yet. So, you know, I, I think for most businesses, although I think it can go both ways, I think, you know, you, you have to have that fundamental um, understanding of what the limitations are with the technology, what it's capable of, and let that drive the ideas. I'm not saying that you can't have the idea first and develop out the technology, but at that point, then you really need to think of that as a separate business entity. It's probably not an extension of your existing IT because at that point you're inventing IT to serve this new opportunity, not leveraging something you already have. And it's not that that's wrong. It's just a different approach. Yeah, I think that's a good point. And almost in that clarification, it's sort of the delineation between evolutionary and revolutionary. Um, well, I think there are some of the things we talked about, like the the example of designing things to be scalable and modular, so it could be spun out as certainly a, a revolutionary uh, example. But a, an evolutionary example that we talked about, such as just making sure you think about ROI when you're, you're pitching a data center upgrade, um, I think you can make incremental improvements too. So I think Part of it is that we're challenging the IT professional to do is to think about these things, get engaged in these things, show something that works, and bring it to your manager or your CIO or stakeholder that could navigate the uh, business and the business process advantages and disadvantages to, to make it happen. Yeah, I think you can't just kind of wait around for the either the technological or business process situation to become ideal, you know, for all the, the planets to align to make something happen. Um, there are opportunities uh, that you can probably find in your organization to, to do some trial products or to, to test them out, test some ideas, um, just like you would, you know, throw something in the lab and see how it works. You can, I think, do the same thing here. And I, and I think another challenge kind of related to that, too, is just, you know, unfortunately, and I think people are, are starting to change their perceptions, but, you know, there's still this this mindset that IT is just a cost center and, you know, put them down in the basement where nobody can, you know, see or hear them, um, re, you know, reluctantly write the check for it every month and, and and move on. I think, you know, there's still a little bit of that bias, but but hopefully people are starting to open up their, their minds a little to, to these new ideas, but it might take some um, convincing sometimes to get people to think of IT differently and not just a cost center. Right. And IT can, you know, sort of take its fate in its own hands here and, and be the advocate for IT within the organization. You know, don't wait for uh, people's moods to change. Go go change it, you know, humanize and make those connections like we talked about earlier. That's something Absolutely. IT can do right now. Yeah. And if it doesn't turn, work out that it's the best solution for a particular organization, the fact that you've had prepared it and you're aware of it allows you to be ready for the opportunity when you do encounter another organization or another situation where it could work. So. If at first you don't succeed, try trying again, right? Yeah, Silicon Valley <laughs> talks about how much they love failure, so yeah. 
<laughs> go, out, go out and have a little failure. And then learn from it. It's time for Sanity Check, a segment where we listen to real engineers' questions like, why the heck does my manager do a thing that drives me nuts? So we got a couple of questions from uh, some folks out there. Uh, we're not going to name names, but... The names have been trained to protect the innocent. We'll go through and see if we can parse out what's happening. Um, so the first question is, why doesn't my manager communicate with me? Off the top of my head, I'm thinking that you know everybody has different communication styles. Some people, not everybody, are really direct communicators. And it may simply be a communication style mismatch. Maybe the, they should try to try a different mode of communication or a different style of communication or even do a little bit of disk profiling of their manager to see what's a good way to approach them. Yeah. Jay, do you want to weigh in? Yeah, I think, Damien, you're onto something there. I think another variable is um, really centered around trust. And and what I mean by that is when you communicate with somebody, you want to try to be positive and you want to try to be constructive whenever possible. Um, sometimes that might you know mean that you know, in order to communicate well with somebody, maybe you're telling them something that they they don't want to hear. And sometimes if you don't have that trust and that relationship with the person where both parties feel comfortable both giving and receiving that kind of feedback, um, it can be very difficult. So I think, you know, one of the challenges that I often see uh, in organizations, um, you know, even especially between management and um, other parts of the team is that, you know, maybe there's just not that foundational um trust in the relationship. And I think, it, you know, there's a lot of work that can be done there to make it a safe place to say, you know what, I think you could be doing this a little differently. Or, you know, what if what if I helped you do this better and not have to worry about how that's received or or, or anything like that. That's probably going a little bit too deep on the, the psychology side of it. And I'm, I'm certainly not qualified <laughs> to discuss that. But, you know, as I've observed, I, I think there's a big element of that going on. So I'm curious if you guys think it would be okay for an employee to come to a manager and say, I feel like we're not communicating well. Is there something going on that I need to know about? Or are we just, you know, is there an issue with communication styles? Is that okay to say to a manager? Absolutely. I would be very happy if somebody from my team came to me and said that because it may be something that's just not on my radar. Maybe I'm just preoccupied with some big project or some big deal or some, you know, big plans and I just I just get sidetracked and I'm not perfect and I'm human and I, I have failures just like everybody else. So I think if someone has the courage to come and ask me that, I would definitely reward them and be very appreciative that they came and talked to me. Yeah, I agree, Damien. I'd feel the same way. I think, you know, going back to what you said, uh, well, you and I both feel that way. I think what you said earlier is spot on, though. You know, there are different communication styles. And while we would like to hope that most people would be very receptive to that, you know, perhaps some people might not be. So I think that goes back to what I was saying earlier is, is you got to have that foundation where it's a safe place to have that conversation. And that requires a lot of um, legwork up front before you get to that stage. So I do think that that you need to have an environment with open communication, but you have to have that point where it's, it's okay to do it. That's not easy to build, but it can be done. You talk about building trust one way. A lot of people do that. You know, the whole classic exercise of falling back and letting somebody catch you is kind of demonstrating a vulnerability. And when you allow yourself to share a vulnerability with somebody else and they reciprocate, that sort of forms a foundation for trust. And I think in network engineering that there's no one individual who's always been right 100% of the time who's never crashed a router or, or caused a blip in the network. And I think that uh, being being willing to ask for help when you need help is really important. I don't think many folks would, uh, or many managers would fire somebody for ask that ask for help. But if they got way over their heads in, in deep water and they never asked for help, that might be more of a scenario where discipline could come into play. 
Damien, I think you really hit the nail on the head when you said vulnerability, because, you know, especially in the IT industry, one of the things that I see, and if you think about it, you know, IT is is very much a knowledge-centric profession. In other words, people really t- tend to almost build their um, persona around what they know. And we see that a lot. In fact, you know, in some cases, it even gets to the point of ego. People are where they are because it's based on their knowledge, whether it's their education or their certifications or their experience, it's all that knowledge. And I think what happens is because our personas are so tied up in that knowledge, there then begins that fear where if I show that there's maybe a crack in that knowledge or I don't have that depth of knowledge in every single area, Am I comfortable being vulnerable in that way? Because now what that's doing is almost eroding this this identity that I've built about being knowledgeable. And am I going to be perceived as somehow less valuable on the team if I don't know everything about everything? And I think what happens a lot of times, and I think that's part of the reason, unfortunately, in IT, the people in, in our industry kind of have a bad rap. And I think that's part of it. I think most people just don't feel safe saying, I don't know. And, you know, what we try to do in our organization is look for the people that are comfortable saying, I don't know. You know, if I have somebody sitting across from me in an interview that pretends to know everything, that's a warning sign for me. I'm looking for the person that's very comfortable to say, I don't know. And then I want to see them follow it up with, but I can find out. Because that does two things. It shows they're comfortable being vulnerable, which is to your point, Damien, but also shows that they're motivated to take ownership and, and, and figure it out. I think this is really interesting that, you know, we're talking about concepts like vulnerability on an IT podcast. Um, I, I think that's really important because there's a whole human element to being in IT, being in a business, being around other people that that really doesn't get brought up very often. So I, this is just a little side note, but I'm, <laughs> I think this discussion is interesting and useful. Yeah, it could probably be a, a whole topic unto itself. That's right. We get like the Dr. Phil of IT to come in and exactly. diagnose us all. I think we might be able to squeeze in one more question along these uh, lines. Drew, if you want to go for it. Yeah, it totally ties into this trust discussion. The question is, I feel like management doesn't trust me because they rejected a solution that I proposed. Why was that? So so I think that this is definitely something you don't want to let lie to because trust is so critical to working together. An individual should actively seek out, find ways to understand why their, their idea was evaluated a certain way. Um, I myself have been guilty in the past of presenting an idea which was not fully cooked. So um, a nice manager might turn and say, sounds like you're onto something there. Maybe you want to think about it some more and get back to me. Uh, that's not to say that's totally dismissive of the idea, but maybe the way it's presented isn't fully big. I think going and engaging with your manager and even within the organization to identify how they evaluate ideas, whether it's you know analytically or objectively, and what the criteria is, what their decision-making process is, and, and don't be afraid to ask. And maybe asking in a group isn't the best. Maybe asking uh, one-on-one would be a good starting point. Yeah, I completely agree. I think one other part, often there are many, many other variables involved that as the idea presenter, you might not have visibility to. And in in some cases in the business, uh, there might be very legitimate reasons why you don't have visibility to that. And so I think the manager or the supervisor does bear some responsibility to communicate the response in a way that is, you know, sensitive to those other factors without, you know, betraying the trust that's needed, you know, be discreet when you need to. And I think sometimes people kind of forget that, you know, I, what I see on the surface, you know, it's kind of like the whole iceberg. What I see on the surface does not represent everything. And and I think, you know, especially having been in, in both roles, I appreciate that a little bit more than I, maybe I did when I was putting ideas out there and frustrated when people didn't run with them. Mm-hmm. 
And I think the way I think it's a legitimate question to ask. I think it's legitimate to bring up with management, but I also think you need to uh, be thoughtful in how you broach the question. Uh, you, I don't think you want to come angry or adversarial. You want to uh, make a, a legitimate request, but you know, couch it in a way that's not like, "Hey, you stupid jerk! Why didn't you pick the best solution, which was mine?" Because that's not going to help anything. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not. Yeah. Sometimes if you find yourself having an emotional reaction, it's good to give yourself a little breather or, you know, sleep on it, as they say. Um, and then sometimes not everybody makes decisions uh, involving emotion, but sometimes if you have an emotion, you take ownership for it, then uh, it doesn't make it, it doesn't come across as you're blaming the other person for causing that. Right. And if you put a lot of time and effort into a proposed project or solution, you know, it's kind of your baby. It can, it can, you know, not feel good to have somebody say no, but you need to put those feelings aside and, and try to be more objective about getting some feedback on why it didn't fly. So that brings us to the end of this uh, segment. We'd really love to get your participation. You know, if you find yourself frustrated or scratching your head about something that IT management's doing to you, ask us about it. Uh, you can send us an email at nextlevel at packetbrigade.com. We'll also have uh, a link to an anonymous survey monkey survey in the show notes. Um, all sources are going to be kept confidential. We're never going to use your name on the air. So if you have a question, we'd love to hear about it. Well, thanks a lot for joining us on The Next Level. I'm Damien Hoising. You can contact me at damien at packetbrigade.com. I blog on Packet Brigade and hopefully Packet Pushers in the future. Absolutely. I'm Drew Conry-Murray. You can find my blogs on PacketPushers.net, and you can follow me on Twitter at Drew underscore CM. Jay, how can folks get in touch with you? Uh, and are there any books or resources you'd like to share with the audience? Sure. So uh, again, my name is Jay Mellon. Uh, my company is at NetPlus, spelled A-T-N-E-T-P-L-U-S. And uh, you can certainly find us at www.atnetplus.com. And you can also follow us on Twitter at at atnetplus. <laughs> A lot of ads there, but hopefully you'll figure it out. Absolutely. Thank you very much for joining us today, Jay. And uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. We'd love to get your feedback on the show. You can leave comments on the blog post uh, that accompanies this podcast on packetpushers.net or drop us a line at nextlevel at packetbrigade.com. Thanks for listening. 